Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I want to welcome Katie Forte to the podcast. Hey, Katie. Hey, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Katie is the Director of Account Management at Greenhouse, which if you didn't listen to our podcast a few weeks ago, we did have a, another greenhouse leader on, but it is an enterprise talent acquisition software that helps businesses deliver measurable hiring results so they can build, grow, and hire for what's next. Katie started her career in finance, but pivoted to tech sales a few years into her career. She actually started at Greenhouse five years ago as an SDR working for Mo Moran, who, as I just mentioned, was featured on Hey Salespeople a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to Mo's most recent episode, I highly recommend it, as Katie is a great example of how, with the right leadership and opportunity, an SDR role can be a great jumping off point for so many career opportunities in the tech world. She is now leading a regionalized team of account managers at Greenhouse and is currently helping to scale this function out globally. She has no doubt gained a ton of experience along the way. Katie, I am very excited to discuss your take on account management and hear more about what's top of mind for you. But first, I'd love to start with an icebreaker, um, maybe about a recent book that you've been reading that's helped influence your leadership in, in your current role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that wonderful um, intro, Jenna. I'm happy to talk about that. So when I think about books that I want to invest my limited time in, um, I think about books that will leave a bigger impact on me as a, a leader, um, but also on the team that I'm, I'm working with. I, I like to get a lot of my ideas from the books. So um, some that I've been reading lately or have read before. So First is just Clarity and Connection um, by Young Playblo, uh, which means young people. Uh, young Playblo, Playblo is a kind of like a, a name that Diego Perez goes by. Um, the idea there is to find that bridge and that gap between clarity and connection that makes you, you know, a human and brings humanity to everyone around you. Additionally, the five love languages, anyone you talk to who knows me knows that I live and breathe this concept. Uh, there is a version for the workplace as well. It's by Gary Chapman and Paul White. Um, and then lastly, Patrick Lencioni. If you haven't heard of him, uh, definitely check him out. He focuses on organizational health and has a lot of great books such as The Advantage that helps to shape uh, the way that you're building an org and, and how to keep it the structure sound um, and moving in the right direction as you scale. It's it's interesting to you know, hear that applied to, to business. I would love to know, first and foremost, what, what is your love language? Yeah, um, great question. So, and my first, my primary love language is words of affirmation. And my secondary is gifts. When you hear about relationships, people think your personal relationships. But if you really take a step back and think about personal relationships, businesses and teams thrive off of connection. And the person who loves a shout out to the entire team might not enjoy, you know, like a gift on the side. It doesn't like motivate them the same way as someone else on your team might be fully motivated or will run through a brick wall for you just for giving them a high five, which is the physical touch. So to understand your people um, and for people to understand you, it really drives that trust, that accountability and that motivation for a team outside of just your regular professional atmosphere. Um, would love to hear any more insights too on either how these types of books have shaped your leadership strategy and team structure or even just 
your overall philosophy on team structure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I think about building a team, uh, there's a few points to consider, which I'll go through. Um, but I think the foundation of it starts with the approach of strategy, structure, and then people. Um, it's something I had to learn very early on. If you put people in place first without a strategy or a structure, it's probably going to fail. And if you put structure before your strategy, people are going to be confused, which may also lead to failing. Um, so what I had to learn early on, like I said, is strategy, structure, people. Uh, this is a linear statement to guide your approach towards um, identifying a best path when you're implementing a new business plan or a team. So when you think about that, uh, I can kind of tie in the books a little bit more. And I start with the strategy component, uh, which starts with the six key critical questions that you want to ask yourself when uh, building out that strategy. It ties back to Patrick Lencioni's framework of the six questions. So those are, why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we actually do? How will we succeed? Uh, what is most important right now? And who must do what? So if you can answer those questions, you're not only starting to think about strategy, but you're also starting to think about your structure. And then when you have that strategy and structure, you can put into place the second thing that I talk a lot about are OKRs, so objectives and key results. And those are helpful to answer the question of what's important right now. So first, I talked about the strategy and the structure with the six questions and the OKRs. And at the very end, I think about the people. So again, back to Lencioni, um, there's the five behaviors that Lencioni has identified, um, which when maximized, um, a team will operate super efficiently and effectively. So this goes into that people. Um, each behavior in the model does build upon the previous one and supports each other as well. So you want to have trust with your people first. Uh, then you want to have conflict because conflict is healthy. Uh, you want to have commitment, accountability, and then results. So you, you put the right people in place to build off of those. And then that's when you have a team um, that not only has strategy, they have structure uh, and the right people in place to execute. Yeah, love that. So I want to touch on that last pillar of the, the behavior model, right? Results and you know, how do we drive results, especially in an account management function? You know, I know that account management can mean so many different things at so many different places, and I'm sure we will get into that. But would love to know what you're thinking of in terms of driving those OKRs and then getting those results from your team and what statistics you're, you're really accounting for when you are setting those goals. Yeah. So, when I think about results, a lot of the times I'm thinking about the net retention, which is primarily driven by renewal expansion, as well as upsell and cross-selling of products. We also need to ensure that we're retaining our customers. Um, so that gross retention component also flows into our churn and contraction, um, which will either increase or decrease our net retention. When it comes to driving results in general, if you can tie specific numbers to something and then put something time bound, so bring in an additional, I like to use percentages versus dollar amounts because percentages actually uh, share a little bit more um, inside and impact to other people around you. So I'd like to say something like bring in 5% more of new products from the prior quarter by 531. 
to wrap that kind of up in a package and tie it with a bow, results need to have or what you're looking to drive needs to be so specific. Otherwise, you're going to have so many people thinking different things. And then you're setting everyone up for failure because the biggest mistake in communication is having expectations of others that you didn't even set for them. Yeah, I think that touches also back on the motivation factor as well, right? If people are motivated by achievement and hitting goals and they don't know what those goals really are or what those goals mean, then they don't feel as much drive to to get there. Yeah. When you think about results too, or um, you know, setting certain OKRs, the whole point of an OKR is to answer the question, what matters right now? So you don't want to set an objective and results for something that's not really important today. So let me give you an example about that. Something that we do in account management, and I know a lot of other orgs do it too, um, are spiffs. So if you say, okay, account managers, the normal goal or that you're looking to achieve is an 85% gross retention. You put a spiff in place that says, if you are to hit 85% or higher, you will receive, you know, a $500 gift card to your choosing, or, um, you're going to get, you know, a, a lunch with the CEO or something. You're putting some sort of incentive or spiff in place that's going to drive the right behavior because they're going to focus on probably getting that gift card or the, or the lunch because I don't know how many salespeople you've met that don't like money, but I haven't really met any. <laughs> so if you put some sort of uh, spiff in place there that drives right incentive and behavior, in turn, you're going to also drive the right results for the business, which is at least keeping stable or having a higher gross retention at a time or a quarter where it's most at risk. How do you make those trade-offs between something like gross retention, net retention, cross-sell, upsell? Really, as an account manager, there's so many things to focus on. So how do you make the trade-offs to figure out what is the right way to focus on that and what are the right spiffs to put in place as a result? Yeah, it's a skill. The way that I think about putting the right things in place is having the right structure in place to forecast accurately and to see trends that are happening, not now, but in the future. And so what I would recommend for um, any leader to do or any team to do is have a really great forecasting mechanism down that allows you to predict results that are you know, three, six, nine months in advance than today. Because if you focus on trying to change something right now, chances are it's not going to happen because we're already working three, six months in advance. And by the time we get there, it's too late. So the way that we do this is we have like a forecasting mechanism down that allows the team to say, okay, if I have, you know, X amount of churn in my book right now, how will that impact my net retention number? And do I have enough at play in order to still achieve my goal? and churn this? Or do I need to focus more on expansion opportunity? So to sum it up, a lot of it just comes down to being forward thinking, thinking about the future. When you're trying to focus so much on solving something for the present, you tend to neglect the fact that the present's already in the past, and the future is already waiting for a solution to be made. So if you're not thinking farther in advance, then you're already too late to solve that problem. So I think that's a really great point. There's so many orgs today that are struggling with that churn number because it's right in the here and now, especially as we're seeing layoffs, especially as we're seeing just market conditions change and 
priorities shift with different companies if you're selling B2B, especially. So having a, an outlook, right, that's not just what's right in front of you, but what's what does this look like for the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sets you up for just a be- more success in being able to make a difference earlier on and not have to scramble and put all of your execs and top people at saving an account in the 11th hour. And it actually could lead to upsell, cross-sell opportunities when that account would have been at risk if you had just waited. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely spot on. And like the best leaders that I know are the ones who can get ahead of a trend before it actually happens. And your best feedback is from your customers as well. They start to give you insight to what's happening. And data is your superpower. We've talked a lot about churn and and metrics and things like that. I'm curious just in terms of your team structure, and, and this will funnel into some of the responsibilities. How do you goal your team members? Is it on just a net retention number? Do they have separate goals for upsell, cross-sell, and then retention? You know, what, what is your strategy when putting that together? We goal them on net retention. But to take it a level deeper, when I think about a comp plan or I think about goals, you want to keep it as simple as possible. And you want to ensure that whatever metrics you're you're driving, again, they're driving the right behavior. So comp plans drive behaviors. I'm sure that's something that like you know very well. You need to make sure that you keep it simple enough to where you don't have more than three metrics you're really looking at um, from a comp plan, but it has to be so clear for the rep to know what they're um, actually gold against. And also at the same time, it, like I said, needs to drive the right behavior. So net retention for account management is an excellent metric to look at. And the reason why is because net retention really encompasses all key components of what account managers are responsible for. It takes into account churn. So losing a full customer or product, it takes into account contraction. So bringing in less ARR than was originally up for renewal and expansion. Expansion can either be from a current product that you're expanding or customer you're expanding or a net new upsell, meaning an additional add-on product. Those three components together give you a net retention rate. And so if a goal for somebody is to have 130% net retention on the quarter, That essentially means you're asking an account manager to grow their book by 30% from where the quarter started. Yeah. So your philosophy there is a dollar is a dollar, right? If you can do really, really well in upsell and you have a bad quarter or month or however, you know, whatever period in turn, you can make up for that by upselling more. And then, you know, what, what ends up happening is you're shifting and you're really building the, the amount of high value customers and high LTV customers that you have in your book over time. So I'd love to dive a little deeper with the time we have left into into the roles of account management at Greenhouse and how you think about that. And Swimlane's, one of our conversations before we recorded was, I think you mentioned that account management is basically considered this middle child of sales and customer success. And that resonated with me a lot because it is. A lot of companies are struggling to figure out where account management fits in. Are they just salespeople? Or are they just CSMs with a different name? So I would love to hear your thoughts on this and just 
how you structure your team against that every day. Yes, thank you for asking. I am so passionate about this and it is a mission of mine to highlight the importance of an account manager role in the SaaS industry. So when you think about an account manager to your question before, are they salespeople? No. Are they CSMs? No. They're, they're an account manager. And what that means is that they have a hybrid of skill sets that allow them to sell, but also allow them to be customer centric in order to ensure that they are selling the right products to them as they grow and scale over a long period of time. So when I think about the primary scope, I think that about them as being a strategic partner that's focused on achieving the customer long-term business objectives, which enables dollar growth. That's how I think about an account manager. And then when I think about someone who's a customer success manager, I think about their primary scope being around driving usage and adoption of your product that is being sold to them. So the way that an account manager and a CSM can work together is the account manager understanding their long-term business goals and objectives and assuring that they're selling and setting them up with the right products to reach those goals. The CSM then drives the adoption, the uses of those products so they can also reach those goals. If you have someone that's doing the selling and then someone at that same person also doing the adoption and the usage, you tend to neglect a certain part of the actual customer journey because you're so focused on one or the other when there's actually a lot of value in having someone be the point person for the day-to-day user and someone being the point person for the decisions being made um, and how that plays into a long, longer-term ROI. And how do you clarify that for the customer? Yeah, million-dollar question. I mean, it sounds so easy, didn't I? It's a concept that is new to the industry. I feel for customers sometimes because it can get a little bit confusing. But communication is is extremely important. It's really the one thing that drives results, outcomes. And even if something goes wrong, as long as you're doing your best to communicate, it typically ends um, on a positive note. So the way that you know we do this with our customers is, again, like having the AM and the CSM work as an account team and their initial conversation that they have with them is doing their best to clarify the roles of each and having that laid out to them and continuing to reiterate what that is. And then the most important thing is not doing the job of somebody else, even if you can get it done faster. So many people, including myself, I'm this type of person, like if you can get something done and you can do it really quickly, you just want to do it. But that is actually a single point of failure right there because what you're actually doing is you're driving a behavior for the customer to come to you to do something, the job of somebody else. And now they're just going to continue to come to you and you're taking away credibility from your partner. So even if you think you're helping the customer by getting something done faster, or helping your teammate because you you know can answer the question, you're actually setting everyone up for failure. And so I tell my team, even if you can answer this support question or even if you can answer this usage question, you need to talk to your partner, your CSM counterpart, or send the customer to our support team because you are now the job of everybody and you are going to be so overwhelmed and you're failing your customer at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, it, you always think about people wanting to go above and beyond for their customers and it can happen in mul- in a multitude of ways. So, you know, if you're answering a support question, yeah, you're giving good customer service in that moment. But what you're saying, again, is 
forward thinking, right? You're thinking about the long tail success of the customer. And if they just keep coming to you for everything, then when you do get overwhelmed and maybe have to start delegating to other people on the team to do the jobs that they're already there to do, it can cause just that whole relationship to implode down the line. Yeah. And I do think there's, you know, I I applaud people for going above and beyond always. I think it's, you know, there's times where everyone has to like pull their pants up, like put their hat on to do all the different jobs because the business needs that. But you have to take a step back and think, is this important right now? Is this something that needs to get solved right now? And if it can wait, then make sure the right person is handling it. If it can't wait, then communicate. Hey, customer, I'm more than happy to help with this specific question. I can share with you the answer. However, I want to be super clear. I'm not the person that you typically would come to. This is the individual. This is their contact information. Here's the answer this time, but please ensure that you're working with them next time. That way you're setting clear communication and boundaries if it were to happen again. Right. And I think also just for internal relationship building, keeping that person in the loop of, hey, I had to answer this on the fly because it was super urgent, but you know, you may get this going forward. Let's make sure that we're aligned on the strategy here. Right. Or like just to take it once that we're going to keep bouncing off each other, one step further is answering the question for them, putting that clarification and CCing the right person and saying, you know, hey, at Jenna, CCing you for visibility, when you get back from you know your PTO or when you get back from your day off, is there anything else you would like to add or anything I maybe missed on? So you're literally passing the baton to the person that should be handling it and keeping them in complete transparency and visibility to the thread that you have happening with that customer. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that perspective of, you know, really making sure those swim lanes are clear, because I think that's a lot, a lot of companies struggle with that and struggle with that, whether it's with account management and sales or account management support, CSMs, all the different touch points in the customer journey, um, really understanding who is responsible for that and how you can work together as a team, because Otherwise, it can create a lot of contention internally that the customer will feel. So as we wrap up, I just wanted to leave our listeners with one last piece of advice from you, Katie. Um, If you had to give advice to someone, whether they're in an account management role or a sales role or CSM or just any revenue-facing role from your experience, what would it be? My advice would be, don't be afraid to fail. It's not about what happens to you. It's it's about how you react to it. And I'm sure people have heard that before, but I just want to repeat that because it's so important. Don't be afraid to fail. The best stories do come from downfalls. You are able to actually experience what it feels like to do something that didn't work. And so now you know how to look out for that or overcome it in the future. At the end of the day, it's all about how you react to things because life isn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Your boss isn't perfect. Your colleague, you, your customer, no one's perfect. So don't be afraid for something to go wrong. Just make sure that you're aware and self-aware about how you react to it. And the last thing I'll say to anybody in any role, when you're trying to get something done or you want to make a point, some of the best advice I ever received, and it's helped me really get things over the line for myself and my team is don't raise your voice, improve your argument. Talking louder than someone in the room doesn't get you what you want. Your argument, how you're able to improve that and how you're able to quantify that is what gets it across the line. I love that, especially as a 
RevOps person, uh, data, and really, you know, well-thought arguments and strategy, you know, all go hand in hand and really knowing why you're driving something is so important instead of, again, being the loudest person in the room. And I think we've all been in those 10 situations. So coming back and restructuring how you're phrasing something or what the actual underlying push for the argument is really important. Yeah. So I I think those are good words to end on. Um, Really, really appreciate you being on the podcast, Katie. Um, If somebody does want to get in touch with you in any way, what is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. um, You can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Kathleen with a K, um, Forte at Greenhouse. I have Katie in there as well, but I think the first uh, name is Kathleen. Uh, Feel free to message me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to chat with anybody. Um, If you're, you know, thinking about account management for your org or building a team or a plan, um, I'm always happy to chat. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for being here. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate you having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.